0: From the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET, this is Detroit Today.
1: Today, we'll meet Congressman Peter Meyer, a Republican from Grand Rapids who has attracted a lot of attention for his pushback against former President Donald Trump and his followers. We'll talk about Republican Party politics as well as the policy issues that he's working on Congress. Then we'll hear more about cooperative business models, which include employees in management and ownership. They are getting a boost in the post-pandemic economy. That's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Good day and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson and as always, I'm really glad that you've joined us. Most first term members of Congress don't experience the kinds of ups and downs that Peter Meyer has experienced in his first 10 months in office. Meyer had barely started his term before he had to take possibly one of the most consequential votes of any congressperson's career. He had to decide whether to vote to impeach President Donald Trump for his role in the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Meyer was just one of 10 Republicans who wound up voting in favor of impeachment. Fellow West Michigan Congressman Fred Upton was also among those 10. More recently, Meyer has been working on the policy side of things. He's a sponsor of new legislation that would overhaul the government's war powers and arms sales laws, returning most of that power to Congress. The bipartisan group of sponsors in the House and Senate says the executive branch has had too much power for too long to wage war overseas without authorization from Congress. Meyer is going to join us in just a second to talk about that legislation, to talk about his first year on Capitol Hill and more. We're still waiting for the congressman's call. But meanwhile, I want to talk just a little about this moment in the Republican Party, this moment in Congress, this moment in policymaking. I think it's fair to say that most of us haven't seen anything quite like this before. You have a former president very very powerful very very popular with a a particular wing of the republican party who's making it really difficult for mainstream old line members of the party people who don't necessarily subscribe to the more extreme politics of donald trump to just do their jobs imagine arriving in congress in january and watching as uh, a mob of Citizens attack the Capitol to try to undo the results of the election that just sent you to Congress. What what would you make of what was happening? And what would you make of your membership in the party that most of those mobsters would claim? That's the situation that Peter Meyer faced when he went to Washington in January. It's the situation that lots of Republicans find themselves facing as they try to do their jobs, as they try to keep the party together, as they try to keep governance intact in Washington and in other places. Once Congressman Meyer joins us, I'm gonna talk with him about what that experience was like, but we also wanna hear from you, the listeners, about what you make of what's going on inside the Republican Party. Do you think that people like Peter Meyer are symbols of the future for the GOP? He's a really conservative guy. He's an economic conservative, for sure. He's somebody who subscribes to 90%, so far as I can tell, of the Republican platform, but he doesn't go along with the things that Donald Trump has done. And he thinks that there's an extremism represented in Donald Trump's politics that he can't go along with. Does that mean that there is a schism in the Republican party that could tear it apart? Could people like Pete Meyer, Fred Upton, other moderate Republicans, so to speak, decide that they can't be part of the Republican party anymore? Could the Donald Trump wing of the Republican Party decide that maybe they aren't really Republicans and that they really need to be able to have their own space to pursue their political aims? A few weeks ago, up on Mackinac Island, I had a really interesting conversation with a former Republican office holder here in Michigan, and I was asking this person about next year's gubernatorial election here in michigan why haven't more of the people that we used to know as republicans including this person i was talking to emerged as possible candidates for governor we've got one person who has said for sure he wants to challenge governor gretchen whitmer as a republican next year and that's former detroit police chief jim craig but what about all the other republicans who've held office in this state for such a long time. Where are they? Why aren't their names emerging and jumping to the top of that list? This office holder told me that there is a something of a war going on inside the party. There is something of a deep schism represented between Donald Trump Republicans and more moderate Republicans. And his theory was that this would go on for some time, and perhaps even cause significant losses to the Republican Party. In other words, that they wouldn't be able to win elections that they are supposed to win because of this difference, because of this divide. He thought that it would take those losses, maybe over a significant period of time, to teach the party again that it needs to reach out. It needs to pull people in. It needs to appeal to voters across a pretty broad spectrum, not to Democrats necessarily, but certainly to independents who increasingly make a lot of the decisions because of their swing value vote in our democracy. When Representative Meyer joins us, we're gonna talk about all of those things. We'll also talk a lot about the policy issues that he's been working on. Uh, lately in Congress. This is a guy who is pretty thoughtful about a number of things and has a lot of ideas in mind as he goes to Washington. But again, while we're still waiting for the congressman's call, uh, go ahead and call and uh, talk with us about the GOP. What is the GOP right now? Is it appealing to you? Are you worried about the ways that Donald Trump has changed Republicanism? in this country and even in this state or are you somebody who thinks donald trump is the future of the republican party and that the way he has approached things is the way forward is the way to get back to the white house perhaps or back to the governor's mansion in lansing as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. And again, we are just waiting on uh, Congressman Meyer to uh, to join the program here. I'm sure he's caught up with some official business that uh, that maybe has not yet Uh, concluded but as soon as he calls in we will rope him into the conversation as well let's go to Robert in Detroit Robert welcome to the show hello hey go ahead Robert hi uh, I just wanted
2: to say that um,
1: it's a very difficult
2: situation because a lot of Catholic people that I know they say that Donald Trump is persecuted just like Jesus and so there's a, there's a, a convergence of ideology with religious fervor for his supporters, and um, I, I see the the Republicans that that try to stand up for what's right they're facing that, and it's just something that um, I've never seen in my lifetime, and I don't know how you you get past that and, and how you can have any kind of you know moderate or reasonable kind of response to any of this and, and I wish those who who try to take that approach luck but but unless maybe religious leaders stand up and say that um this is not the case it's not going to change
1: so so robert i'm really curious and and i think your your call and the things that you're saying point up one of the really sore spots for this kind of dialogue and that's inside families right that that people who uh, used to be able to Talk about politics with their family members, or at least discuss differences and now find themselves at absolute odds and find it impossible to have those conversations so i I wonder if you can give me a sense of how that works for you how how is that How is that working in your family? Are you able to have a conversation with uh, with people who who support donald trump and are you able to, to, to come to some agreement about disagreement, even, about uh, what's going on? It's a very complicated issue, and
2: um, I think you really should do a whole show on the people that are getting prophecies and stuff. They're getting political newsletters where the politics and the religion are just intermingled. Mm-hmm. They talk about end of times, and there's almost like a cult-like um, appeal going on Mm -hmm. and i think families really should do just the opposite you're 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 thinking i just don't want to be around these people but but what you really need to do is just the opposite embrace them love them and show them that even though they're being told that you are a demon and that you are supporting communism and all these other things um, it's not Democrats against Republicans This show is about Republicans against Republicans mm-hmm. and and so it, it is just you're with us or you're against us and it's 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 something that you see that really needs to be addressed. There, there are um, all kinds of things being spread online and it's been going on for years and these prophecies they never come true but but they keep talking again and again postponing. Uh, end of times and all this stuff. And, and I don't understand when somebody is caught on tape saying that he's going to grab women by their private parts, that this is the savior that's going to save the world. And, you know, the the whole January 6th thing, it's just, you know, uh, how do you make sense of that? There, sure. there is... Um, and there are organizations that fund this, and, and you don 't even know who you 're giving your money to these people that support this cause mm. they 're supporting white supremacists they 're supporting government takeovers in Michigan and united and the you know, washington d c and and it's it 's really we need to talk about it for what it is it 's yeah. a mental health condition and mm-hmm. it 's an emotional thing and compound that with um, dealing with a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic and people out of jobs and, you know, all of everything is political. N- yeah. Science means nothing. Yeah. And yet we're flying planes. We're using the internet. We're, we're using all of these things to, you know, for bad purposes,
1: right. instead Robert, of making
2: the world a better place, we're, yeah. we're Robert, we'll really, it worse.
1: Robert, I really, I really appreciate, uh, I really appreciate the call and your comments, and, and I wish you luck, frankly, with what you're working on. I think it is the work that is ahead for, for many of us, which is figuring out a way to incorporate the people who uh, have uh, subscribed to these politics and, and the violence, really, uh, that goes along with it in, back into the, the fold of reasonable debate and discussion and, and, and governance. Uh, Robert, I really appreciate uh, the call and the comments. Okay, we do have Representative Peter Meyer with us now. I, uh, Peter, uh, welcome to Detroit Today.
3: Thank you for having me on.
1: Yeah, it's great to have you uh, here. I've heard a lot about you. I know you and I have never uh, met, but you're from a part of the state that I uh, have real connection with and uh, and some great affinity for. And so I'm excited to, to talk with you about uh, your representation there. I want to start with, uh, of course, your vote to impeach former President Trump after the January 6th insurrection. Uh, first of all, I wonder if the level of vitriol from fellow Republicans and Trump supporters changed or died down at all for you in the last 10 months. And what kind of I guess, uh, environment are you existing in now uh, with with fellow Republicans? What, what has that been like?
3: No, I would say in general, it's a, a very uncertain moment for my party. And I think a lot of folks are trying to, in that uncertainty, um, figure out what the path forward looks like. And that, that applies as much for, you know, a, 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 somebody in the grassroots as it does for somebody who might be in elected office. Um, you know, I think it's it, it all depends, you know, how the centrality of, of how you view the November 3rd elections and what circles you are in uh, matter greatly. I heard you talking with your former guest. And, and there are a lot of folks who, you know, are kind of part of this um, this, this this culture, you know, where it it is the most important thing is diving deep. I mean, it's become its own, you know, tribe of of, of folks. And uh, obviously, to those individuals, I mean, I, uh, they have a very different perception of me than for um, most of my constituents I interact with, where we're talking about the issues of the day, talking about uh, where we're going, talking about what we need to do.
1: Hmm. And uh, as uh, a Republican, give me an assessment of how you feel, saying that you're a member of the party uh, do you feel like you are part of the Republican Party, uh, or do you feel like you're being pushed out i i 'm not sure if you were listening when I was uh, talking earlier about a conversation I had up on Mack in a few weeks with uh, with a former Republican office holder here in in the state who said that he felt he felt like he was not really a part of uh, the current Republican Party, and that uh, things needed to to shake out a lot more before he could feel differently. I wonder what that looks like for you as as a current office holder.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'll 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 be honest. I put it very simply that um, you know I don't think it's up to any one individual or group of individuals to make that definition. Uh, you know, and you know it's. Obviously implicit in the insult of, oh, you're a rhino, you're a Republican in name only. You know, implicit within that is that that person is is judging who is and is not uh, a member of the Republican Party. Uh, I founded my high school's Teenage Republicans group back in uh, 2003. Um, I've been involved in Republican politics my whole life. Uh, I think it's wonderful that more folks have gotten engaged in the last, you know, four or five years, um, but I also just don't think that any one individual or small group of individuals has that right to make that definition. Parties, you know, are large groups, they are collectives, and they're also always evolving. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I am um, I may be very optimistic this morning, but, you know, in, in my mind, it's, um, you know, folks like that only have the power that you're willing to give them.
1: Mm. So I do want to switch to talking about some policy things that you are working on. And I mentioned in the open uh, this legislation that would overhaul the government's war powers and arms sales laws. Uh, It's interesting to me that you're championing this legislation alongside the likes of Bernie Sanders, kind of going back to what we were just talking about, (laughs) who's, who's in what party and how do parties work together? Uh talk about this legislation and why you think the executive branch has too much power over war powers and arms sales.
3: Yeah, and, and Bernie Sanders uh was the Democratic lead in the Senate. Mike Lee was the Republican lead. You know, <laughs> right. it is certainly making for some strange bad fellows. And even uh Chip Roy, who's no one's version of a, a liberal, uh came out <laughs> in, in pretty strong support. Um no, I think if, if I were to diagnose one of the fundamental problems with the way our government interacts with the people is that we are far too centralized. It's far too distant uh, and it's far too unaccountable. Right. We do not have the degree of accountability that we really need. Now, when when we're when Republicans are the minority and when Democrats are on the House, Senate, White House, um, it's going to be pretty hard for us to be. Uh, have that force them to return power back down to the states. That's just a a democratic impulse is towards that centralization. But when it comes to shifting the balance of power from the executive, from the president uh, to Congress, that's something where we can make some real traction. And and the Constitution under Article 1 uh, gives Congress the power to declare war. I mean, that is within Congress's purview. But all too often, you know, Congress has punted on that. Um, They have kicked it over to the executive. They have Um, you know, done whatever they can to not take those hard votes. Uh, And to me, that's incredibly unsatisfactory. Look at the past two decades of conflict in Afghanistan. Imagine how different it would be if every two years members of Congress had to vote affirmatively yes or no, whether or not to send troops into harm's way. Imagine the questions they would ask in oversight uh, in getting to the answer of whether to do that. Imagine the answers that the Department of Defense, that State Department, that the National Security Council and our, our foreign affairs apparatus would have to articulate, you know, the, the strategies they would have to hone in order to convince members of Congress to continue to support um, their vision for that country. Right. So that's that's one component. You know, it's, it's getting that war powers back. And then we also have constraints on it arms export controls and constraints um, on emergency powers, because in all of these areas, uh, it's one thing to say the president should have the ability to act swiftly in the face of new threats or new events. Uh, It's another thing to have that just go on for years with little check and little accountability.
1: Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Congressman Peter Meyer. We'll also get to more of your phone and social media comments if you want to join the conversation. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to work you into the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit today. I'm Steven Henderson and I'm talking with Congressman Peter Meyer who is uh, from Grand Rapids and represents Michigan's 3rd Congressional District in Washington. We're talking about the first 10 months of his tenure as one of our representatives in washington has been pretty tumultuous time started really with the january 6th insurrection Uh, has continued through the strife inside the republican party and between republicans and democrats over any number of issues we want to hear uh from you about um we want to hear from you about uh what you think is going on with, uh, with the Republican Party and with Congress uh, in Washington. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, apparently, we have lost Congressman Meyer. Again, he did have to get back to congressional business, but uh, we'll get to the calls and then we will move on to our next conversation. Let's take Chuck in Franklin. Chuck, welcome to the show.
4: Oh, good morning, uh, Stephen, and good morning to Representative uh, Meyer, my hero. Um, I, I don't. I, I, I would need to explain to Representative Meyer. I know I don't need to explain to you, Stephen, that um, I am as loyal a Republican as you've ever had in your listening audience.
1: Um,
4: and <laughs> and we I, appreciate um, that. Chuck. I, I wish I, I. I would love to know who it was uh, that you were conversing with at mackinac but i don't need to know because whoever it was i agree with her or him uh... hundred and ten percent Um our party is uh... Um, uh... is uh... as um uh... representative meyer says um in uh... in a moment of crisis Um i am now i've never in my life been a one issue person Um i am now a one issue voter and my issue is was the 2020 election stolen um do you agree with donald trump that there were more votes than voters in detroit if a republican candidate and i don't care for what level of office school board uh congress state house state senate if they can't get that answer right then i'm not voting for them and uh, Representative Meyer, I know you don't have that luxury. You have to vote on everything, and um, you need to face every issue. Um, but but I but I have that luxury as a voter. And if Republicans can't step away from this uh, stolen election nonsense, then they have no business being in office. And I wish I could vote for you, Representative Meyer. Um, I'm not in your district. Um, uh, Who knows what district I'm going to be in in 2022. But Godspeed to you. Um, I love your work. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, a U.S. Senator Meyer, um, Vice President Meyer, President Meyer um i, I just uh, thank you Stephen, for getting him on the air
1: yeah no i i i really appreciate you calling in chuck and and reflecting that appreciation because it i think it is important for us to be able to to hear from uh the folks who are sort of at the nexus of all of this in washington and in in michigan and it's it's interesting to me because i know you chuck uh, to to hear your enthusiasm for representative meyer and to know that um to know that there is this this part of the party that really does want to step away from some of the the most extremist elements of what we have uh, seen and heard from from trump and his uh, and his support so again chuck i really appreciate the call and uh, the comments okay we're going to go now to wink in southfield wink welcome to the show
5: thank you i love Hi. your show thank you and i'm so happy to hear you discussing the repeal of the aumf I've been working uh, on lobbying our representative, uh, mine as Barbara Lawrence, and our senators to, especially our senators, to sign on to this repeal, because I think it's really, really important. I work with the Friends Committee on National Legislation Advocacy Teams, and this has been our focus for at least two years
1: and uh, that's an interesting it's an interesting data point for me wink I guess I didn't realize there were people or a lot of people really interested in in changing this uh, tell me from your perspective what it means to change the lines of authority to to give congress more say over arms sales and and war powers than than the president has why why is that meaningful to you
5: well that is their job. It's uh, fundamentally their job, and it's been taken away since beginning with 9-11 that the president should be able to bring us into war, and every president has since then. And it's so destructive, <laughs> obviously. It's war. It hasn't really solved our problems.
1: Okay, Wink, I really appreciate the call and the perspective. Thanks again for listening to Detroit Today. We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to change the subject here. We are going to talk about the labor shortage that businesses are experiencing. We're going to hear from a group that's helping retiring business owners sell their companies to their own workers and what that cooperative business model can teach us about valuing employees and creating a sense of investment for workers in their jobs. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.
6: Bringing you news that matters.
5: Stories that impact your life.
7: Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is
6: 1019
3: WDET.
8: Detroit's NPR station.
1: You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson and as always, thanks for tuning in. If you drive around town these days, there is no shortage of signs to be seen in windows and in front of shops saying, help wanted or we're hiring. Some business owners are complaining that they simply can't find enough workers to staff their kitchens, their shops or their warehouses. And because of the pandemic and the human suffering that followed, some economists floated the idea that workers were using the extra federal benefit dollars to reflect on what kind of work they actually wanted to do. That is, what kind of job would give them more personal and financial ownership over their work? Many don't get the opportunity to work in such places. But over the past few decades, more companies like these have grown up in the form of worker cooperatives, giving individuals greater personal, democratic and financial autonomy in the workplace. The Detroit Community Wealth Fund is a nonprofit that helps facilitate the creation of worker cooperatives right here in Detroit. They specifically help black and brown Detroiters who want to own their own businesses. Now they've launched a $2 million loan fund meant to transition Detroit area businesses into worker cooperatives, where workers collectively purchase a business from the previous owner. It's a really interesting program, especially since baby boomers, most of whom don't have succession plans, own about half of the regional metro Detroit businesses that account for about 400,000 jobs. That's where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today with with the question, what do you want from your workplace? Are you somebody who is really rethinking work right now? The idea of work, the place where you work? Are you somebody who doesn't wanna go back to work the way it was defined before the pandemic and wanna have more control and more autonomy in order to get more satisfaction out of your life. We want to hear from you uh, about how you're thinking about work. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. I've got two guests here to talk specifically about uh, the Detroit Community Wealth Fund and the things it is doing to try to recast the idea of work for folks who are here in the Metro Detroit area. Margot Dalal is Executive Director of the Detroit Community Wealth Fund. Margot, welcome back to Detroit today.
7: Thank you. It's
1: good to be here again. And Kiana Silverman-Maddox is Cooperative Conversions Manager. Kiana, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. So, Margo, uh, let's start with you. For those who are unfamiliar with worker cooperatives, tell us, tell us what they are and how different they are from traditional businesses.
7: Sure. So a worker owned cooperative business is a business that's owned by the workers of that business. Um, It's it's democratically run and managed. So the workers in that business can vote on the board or vote on different managerial positions. They have decision making power within the business. And then they also share equally in the profits. So sometimes um, there can be uh, divisions based on how long someone has been there or the amount of hours they work. But generally, profits are shared among the workers. And everyone in the business has an opportunity to become a worker.
1: And the idea of worker-owned businesses is not new. Uh, but it, it, it is catching more fire, I guess, right now. It is becoming more popular because of the circumstances of the pandemic. Can you talk about what, what you're seeing in terms of the interest, Margo, in, in this model for businesses?
7: Absolutely. So actually, back in 2008, during um, the economic recession, then in the, in the 10 years, and the decade after that, worker owned businesses um, almost doubled. And so I think right now at the beginning of this decade, we're gonna see something very similar. Even here at the Detroit Community Wealth Fund, last year in 2020, at the very beginning of the pandemic, interest in our programming and what we've been trying to offer in terms of helping um, workers start their own cooperatives or helping business owners learn how to even um, increase or or, um, offer ownership to some of their employees. Um, this interest really dramatically increased. So I think even just in the next few years here, we're going to see that increase continue. Mm.
1: So Kiana, can you describe your role with DCFW and how this $2 million fund transition program is going to work?
6: Sure. So I'm relatively new to the organization, but a uh, Metro Detroit native and a lover of all things Detroit. And so we will assist in the transition to work our own business by providing feasibility study to learn if the business is profitable. We will then com- conduct a culture change and in- encourage the employees to learn about how to increase their skills to take on more uh, managerial roles. And.
1: Uh, how does this transition work? How long does it take? Who's involved in the process? Walk us through this idea of leaving a business to the workers instead of to an heir, I guess, uh, of, of the owner.
6: Sure. So we go in and try to really understand what the owner does day to day and learn how we can plug in those skills and roles from the worker standpoint. And this can take anywhere from six months to two years. And we stay on for the life of the loan to ensure the business success and continued working.
1: Margo, um, I, I wanna talk a little more about the idea of uh, of this kind of work and what's, what's driving it. A lot of people said during the pandemic that it was the extra federal money for unemployment that was keeping people from work. And a lot of people theorized that when that money went away, people would go back and employment would would go back to what it was before. I think we're all now seeing that that wasn't true, at least in the way that many people imagined it would be. But it does, again, point to this differing kind of perspective I think that that a lot of people are coming to about about their work and I wonder if you could talk about the balance in that you're hearing from people that they want between money and security that way and bigger concerns about economic security or control over your time or happiness or the things that aren't as quantifiable uh, as money or extra money in an employment check. It seems to me that the shift here is about thinking about work in a fundamentally different way.
7: That's right. Workplace satisfaction is critical, right? If we don't, or if we're not happy in our workplaces and they're oppressive spaces to be in, you know even a, a even a wage that's higher than living a living wage of you know fifteen dollars an hour is it might not be worth it to us. And we we saw um we're still seeing like you said these incentives that employers are trying to provide right maybe bonuses or offering remote work um and what we see when folks want to start worker owned businesses is that that flexibility and the decision making it takes like what if, um worker owners can decide what they want their business to look like, how they want it to feel, what their what their benefits are in that workplace, right? And I think something else that's really important to, to, to think about is just um the culture of a workplace. Um, some friends and I have started a cooperative here in Detroit. Um, and some of the things that we say is that. We we're tired of having bosses that don't understand our culture. We're tired of having microaggressions, right? Mm-hmm. These are not these are not healthy things to have to go to every single day. And what a worker-owned business is going to allow folks to do is have some control um, in their in their workplace. And um, overall, worker-owned businesses do pay more, right? You're sharing the profits of your business. All of the labor that you're producing, you're the sole benefitor of that labor. And so we see improvement in terms of workplace satisfaction, and we also see improvement in terms of wages.
1: 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We're talking about shifting work habits and patterns and desires in the wake of the pandemic. We're talking specifically about a new fund here in Detroit that is meant to help businesses help their employees become owners which is kind of the ultimate in shifting work and responsibility uh, and the ways in which work feels and affects our lives Uh, again 313-577-1019 call and tell us what you're thinking about work right now are you back to work after the pandemic are you someone who has not gone back to the job that you had before because you've rethought the value of the money that you made or the situation that you were in. How are you thinking about work right now? And what are the things that you're looking for from employers? What are the things that you have to have in place, other than money perhaps, to take a job and to keep it? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Big Neo on Twitter says, co-ops sound like a great option for workers. The falsely named right to work, which really means the ability to fire workers for any reason, is partly why businesses have trouble keeping workers. But the biggest challenge to keeping people is pay and benefits. Uh, let's go to Michael in Rochester Hills. Michael, what's on your mind? Hello?
0: Hi, Stephen. Hi. I am 62 years old, um, and I recently retired from a job I intended to keep until I was a good 65, 66. Hmm. I was an an engineer, an automotive engineer. I had a six-figure salary, lots of vacation time. I thought I was set up pretty good. But I was also frustrated, um, unsatisfied, and and the pandemic came along, and I thought, what the heck am I waiting for? And I decided to take a sabbatical. Um, I focus on my health, retool my skills and see what I could do to redirect my life in a more meaningful and satisfying way. So, um, I've lost a bunch of weight. I've been cycling all over the place. Um, it, really having a wonderful time and I will soon be starting a data analytics bootcamp. Um, it's a kind of a field that, that I would, I think I would enjoy and be good at. And I, I'm sure I could do it remotely and from many um and get jobs in many biz- different businesses get out of the automotive business. Sure. So yeah, the the uh the pandemic really was kind of a game changer for me. So, That's pretty much all I had to say.
1: Yeah, so Michael, and in, in some ways you're an example of what we're specifically talking about here, this idea of stepping away from a workplace that is owned and managed by someone else and, and transitioning to something that you have more control over. But but I, I, I wonder, especially since you are 62, what kind of risk you felt you were taking by doing that? Do you worry that this won't be secure in the financial way that, that maybe your work was as an engineer?
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> that is <it. laughs> There, there is a major risk factor here, which is why I thought I'd never do this, and I'm still kind of a, a, amazed. But there's one thing you do in life, and that's you don't look back. Hmm. You, hmm. you keep your eye on the future, on your goals, and um, and good things are bound to happen yeah. when you do that. That's my the way I look at it, yeah.
1: and that's Michael. how
0: to deal with the doubts. And you know, because yeah. there are there are doubts.
1: Believe me sure Michael, I really really appreciate your call and you sharing your thoughts. Uh, Kiana, I wonder if you can talk some about the risk that uh, that we find in these transitions that this loan fund is uh, is targeting this idea of transitioning businesses from uh, a sole proprietor or a family ownership to worker, Uh, worker ownership and and management, is there a downside to it? Are there things that you have to sort of gird against uh, that would turn out to be worse for the employees?
6: Well, we know that there's always risk involved in business transitions. Only two of three businesses put on the market actually sell. So we're offering an extra layer of security by providing that technical and ongoing support for the employees, because ultimately, if the business closes, we don't get paid back. And so we will be on for the life of that loan to ensure the success.
1: Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Rachel in Ann Arbor. Rachel in Ann Arbor, welcome to the show.
8: Thank you. Hi. Hi. So my thought was is that um, I know like my employer, I work full time, my employer offers incentives to pick up uncovered shifts, and I do not pick those up because I value my family time um, more than money, and I think that there's been a major shift in the country with so many people all at the same time who have lost employment or had short hours and had that time to relax and actually decompress and find out and realize that what they're doing doesn't make them happy and that um, there are workarounds and do what they can to avoid those situations. And that's where employers are having problems.
1: And and so, Rachel, I wonder if you can talk just a little, if you know, about what your employer is having to do I, as somebody who's a customer at lots of places i'm noticing that it's harder to get the, the services that i need from from businesses because they're short-staffed if if more money for work f- for better staffing doesn't work what what does that look like from from a business perspective does your the business you're working for face serious troubles because it is short staffed
8: so my employer isn't like um a that type of service oriented so it's not like when we go out to the restaurants or we're going to fast food or going to a local store Mm -hmm. so um we are hiring additional people um and they are looking for staff not not to say that it's easy these days either like i said I, i honestly think there's been and it's not really being addressed a major mental shift within the workers for so long people were just desperate to have a job Um, and they would take abuse they would take um, shortened hours they would take wonky schedules and of course I'm mainly talking about the service industry type of businesses and now they're finding that because of the situation and because people are afraid of being sick. And then also I honestly feel like a lot of people are realizing that they deserve to be treated better and that they deserve a higher wage. We have had increased productivity and we have lots of money in the system, but it's not making it way to the people who actually put their sweat and ours into making that profit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's coming to a head. People are realizing, you know, it's not worth it to me to bust my butt so that the boss's boss's boss can make millions while I'm over here (laughs) having to get food stamps.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, Rachel, really great uh, comments, and I appreciate the call. Margo, I want to have you react to what, what Rachel is talking about. It seems very much in line with the inspiration for the work that you guys are doing.
7: Yeah, that's exactly right. I think when we realize, you know, when we see the reports of how, you know, how much um, services like Amazon made, or you know, how we've how our labor has lined the the pockets of billionaires or business owners that don't really even step foot into their business, we realize um, to what Rachel was saying. Like, why would I? Why would I work a little bit more just to make someone else? Um, get some profit, and I think that's really what we're trying to do here: is um, is is help people understand that their labor is they should own the rights to their labor, right? You should own you should be able to profit off of your labor, mm-hmm. um, and make decisions about where that surplus goes. Um, and I think similarly, I think we see um, in, at Detroit Community Wealth Fund, we've seen people wanting to quit their regular job and start a cooperative business they can take their skills, they can take their passion, and they can start a new business um, with other people. And it is lower risk, right? Because when you're starting a business with other folks, you're not the only person that has to make sure that everything gets done. You're Mm -hmm. sharing those responsibilities with other people. And the way the Detroit Community Wealth Fund provides financing, and this is really important, is that we provide financing for workers, whether it's a conversion or whether it's a startup. And that financing requires no collateral. So we can make sure that low-income people, people who aren't making six figures, people who are making you know minimum wage, hourly wages, actually have access to financing to be able to start businesses that they can own and they can benefit from.
1: Yeah. And uh, Kiana, that is really key for African-Americans and African-American Detroiters, because historically uh, we've been blocked from ownership prevented from owning property in higher income neighborhoods or owning our own businesses and really being thwarted from the upper mobility that ownership affords.
6: Yes, that's a hundred percent correct. We believe that this collective approach is a great way to approach the racial wealth gap and help break cycles of generational poverty. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Let's get back uh, to the phones here. Daniel in Dearborn. Daniel. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Doing very well. Go ahead.
0: Oh, um, yeah, sorry. I uh, was working at a restaurant during the shutdown, and when we came back to work, it we all just quit en masse, pretty much, because the owner seemed like he didn't care, customers didn't care, and... Uh, Myself and a lot of other people got better jobs than we've ever had before. And we
1: all
6: just
1: on that pretty so, so, Daniel, tell me about the work that you've been able to find.
0: I now deliver bread for a large manufacturer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I drive a truck. I have a union job and a pension now. Hmm. And so better than
1: I've ever had before. Yeah, yeah. Daniel, I, I, congratulations on, on that. And, and I hear that story a lot too, out of the pandemic, people taking advantage of better opportunities. And again, uh, this idea that you don't have to stay in a job that doesn't offer you opportunity, that doesn't offer you the kind of security that you want or uh, the mobility that you want is, is really, really kind of important. Okay, Uh, Margo Dalal and Kiana Silverman-Maddox, it was really great to have both of you here uh, to talk about the Detroit Community Wealth Fund. Thanks so much for joining us here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much, Stephen. Thanks
7: for having
1: us. That is going to do it for us this week. Come back on Monday when we're going to talk with two Indigenous reporters about Indigenous Peoples Day, which has been replacing Columbus Day in many areas of the country. We'll also hear from the retiring president of the University of Detroit Mercy about why he's stepping down and the future of Detroit's Jesuit University. I also want to thank associate producer Sam Corey for the work he did producing today's program. Great work, Sam. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.